Good morning. Today we're looking at uh, the story of Abraham, or Abram, as he was at the time, and when he received the promise from God and what happened next. Uh, Jordan Peterson is a Canadian psychologist and philosopher. When asked, do you believe in God? His answer is invariably, I don't like that question. The reason he gives is that understanding the answer depends both on the definition of belief and of God being accepted and understood both by him and his questioner. He says that he acts as if God exists, but is terrified that he might. In an extended version of his answer to this question, Peterson in effect says that belief in a God of ultimate goodness and ultimate power would mean that we could only strive to be perfect in our belief and actions towards him. This is my interpretation of a very erudite but complicated answer. Peterson roots his thinking in the Hebrew scriptures. In particular, he has been critiqued by Daniel Burston, who argues that Peterson's views on religion reflect a preoccupation with what Tillich calls vertical or transcendent dimension of religious experience, in other words, upwards, but demonstrates little or no familiarity or sympathy with horizontal dimension of faith, which in particular demands social justice in line with the tradition of the biblical prophets. In other words, how our faith relates to other people. So you could say he's more heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Peterson, it seems to me, is so logical and open minded about the possibility of God and so needful of evidence that the pure awesomeness of God prevents him from truly believing the mystery. And it remains a mystery. Peterson is a very clever man and maybe overthinking what is asked of him. He would no doubt dispute this and argue very cleverly that I'm wrong, but he's not as far as I'm aware listening to this. We'll just leave it there. For us, the question is this. It should be much more straightforward. Do you believe in God? Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? This is a simple yes or no. A yes has certain consequences, which are all good ones. A no, well, that makes you God's work in progress. I once got in trouble for my sending church's vicar for preaching that we are either Christians or not yet Christians. On the grounds it made a visitor he was sitting with feel uncomfortable. The context was that I was making a comparison with the assessment of MVQs, which I used to do for accounting technicians. And there were two assessment levels. It wasn't pass or fail, but it was competent or not yet competent. The idea being that the purpose of the training is to move towards competence in a particular task. You either were there or you weren't yet there. The inference being that in the future you could well be. In my sermon, I was trying to indicate that God's call to discipleship and belief is on everybody's lives. We are either Christian 
or not yet Christian. Because, of course, we will all face the judgment seat. In a 2017 interview, Peterson was asked if he was a Christian, and he responded, I suppose the most straightforward answer to that is yes. It may be that Jordan Peterson has found the answer to the question he does not like a bit more straightforward than he had made it. And Jesus certainly thought it was a straightforward question. In John 6, we find this, verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? Believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now there are three things about this encounter. The bottom line is believe in Jesus. Secondly, don't worry about the things of this life. The rewards are to come. And thirdly, it's the Father, Father's will that all will be saved in this way. Jesus sort of captures this idea in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures in heaven are in God's currency, faith, obedience to his commands and worship, belief in the one he sent. This is what we were made for. We go back to the Genesis story in Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2. Being right with God, which of course all went wrong in Genesis 3. On a human level, however, it might not be quite so straightforward, this thing called belief. I was listening to a programme on Radio 4 called Made of Stronger Stuff. They were talking about perception, and apparently 90% of what we perceive through our eyes actually comes from our brains. The messages captured by our eyes themselves only account for about 10%. And they wanted to show that our brains like certainty and are most likely to assimilate information based on what we already know. Our brains interpret new information within the existing framework. The presenters demonstrated this on radio, because they couldn't show uh, pictures, of course, with an audio example. They played a clip of what sounded like a celestial robotic sound that was sort of indecipherable when you first heard it. They then played it again and were told to listen out to the words green needle. Sure enough, this time we heard the words green needle. 
But next time they played the same clip. Instead, this time we were listening out for the word brainstorm. Sure enough, you guessed it. What we heard was brainstorm. So our brains were fixating on what had been suggested to them because that was the certainty and they built that into the framework. In other words, that's what we actually heard. So bringing these two ideas together, we, it leaves us with two aspects of the human condition. Firstly, Jordan Peterson overthinking the implications of what I believe in God means, meaning that he cannot bring himself to do so unconditionally. And secondly, the human disposition to perceive things that fit within our existing framework. Therefore, our beliefs will be swayed by the things that we already believe or perceive. Neither of these describes the God of miracles, the God of grace or the God of mercy. He speaks promises over our lives and gives us the gift of faith. Neither of these describes Abraham's encounter with God in chapter 15 of Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So firstly, God is speaking to him. Notice the direction God spoke to him. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. So secondly, notice what was spoken. Encouragement, affirmation, an offer of protection and a promise of gain. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Next, Abraham has doubts. What can you give me? You... You say reward, but I don't see how that can be. How often have we thought, God, how can you sort this out for me? I had a conversation with someone this week. Their concern was that we don't have the people for a certain activity. And my response was, but we have a big God. Let's ask. God does not give up on Abram, despite his doubts, questions and lack of trust. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Thirdly, God, instead of dismissing Abraham's doubts, makes a promise. The promise on which the other promises we find in the Bible stand, which will come later. You will have a son. You will have descendants as many and varied as the stars in the sky. And now comes the crucial bit of Abram's fulfillment. No courses, no MBAs or PhDs to study. No acts of penance to earn God's mercy. Nothing more than a simple act in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promises. This made Abraham right with God. That is how he was made to be right with God. It's how we are made. It is what Adam and Eve had in the garden before they fell. To be right with God is how we're made. And our part is just to believe the promises God makes to us. Now this 
is an outrageous claim to Abraham. You will have descendants, children. He was too old. His wife was too old. They had tried and nothing. They had long since given up. Abraham's framework in his brain patterns was that um, this was nonsense. Mary had the same feeling, I'm sure, about bearing a son born of the Holy Spirit. Joseph the same about his fiancé's mysterious conception. It doesn't compute. What about Noah's sense that boats don't belong in the middle of a desert? The list goes on. But when God speaks his promises, our brains might want to hold on to the certain, previously known framework, but somehow God's authority overrides that. Abraham heard the promise and believed. And God credited this to him as righteousness. It was his belief. That was all. The work of God is to believe, Jesus said. Just believe. And believing that promise made Abraham right with God. And Paul comes to this idea in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Firstly, righteousness is not earned like wages, but through trust in God. In Romans 4 verse 18, against all hope, Abraham, Abraham in hope believed. And then a bit later in verses 20 and 21, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. When we think about the future, do we hope against hope? Do we trust? After all, England had to beat Germany sometime, surely. But Abraham's hope was not in Gareth Southgate, but in God, who is eternally faithful. Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to deliver his promises? Out of lockdown, for that ministry you feel prompted to follow. In that prayer, you have prayed over a loved one for years that they will come to the Lord. Do you believe that God has the power? Secondly, righteousness is passed down through the generations. Do you understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham, it says in Galatians 3, 7. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise in verse 20, 29. Do you know that you are a child of God, right with God, when you believe God's promises? All that we have, Sarah and I, will pass on to our children. Well, they're nice to us, that is. All that God has, he gives to the son who is a co-heir with us. There is a kingdom waiting and we are heirs according to the promise. All we need to do is believe. And then finally, this is available to all, circumcised or not, for the promise comes first, the sign second for Abram. In verse 23 of Romans 4, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, 
who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Romans 4, 23, 25. And in Galatians 3, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, I stated a couple of weeks ago that the only truly inclusive term is sinner, for all fall short of the glory of God. But God is a faith rescuer, faithful rescuer. Another inclusive term is invited to believe, Jew or Gentile. In fact, Jew plus Gentile is all humanity. And that means receiving a down payment on this inheritance for all who believe. That is his Holy Spirit, the spirit who helps, helps us to stay right with God and to grow in holiness. Now, all this is slightly countercultural. Let me give an example, which is the book Good Vibes, Good Life, which is also titled How Self-Love is the Key to Unlocking Your Greatness. It's a Sunday Times uh, bestseller, and it's by an Instagram influencer called Vex King. It describes itself on the, on the back of the book, be the best version of you that you can be. How can you learn to truly love yourself? How can you transform negative emotions into positive ones? Is it possible to find lasting happiness? And it goes on to say that you can overcome fear and flow with the universe. One of the uh, one of the uh, things that people have said about this book is it's a perfect guide for those who are seeking a way out of darkness and want to live a more beautiful and meaningful life. Well, we might come back to that later. Now, here are some uh, steps to protect your vibe according to Vex King. And some of them are really good. Avoid gossip and drama, definitely. Let go of things you can't control, absolutely. Avoid comparing yourself to others. Can't disagree with that at all. Don't be afraid to spend some time alone. Speak kindly to yourself and to other people. Brilliant advice. Stay away from people who drain your energy. I can certainly agree with that. But here are some others. Don't do anything that doesn't feel right. We're starting to sway into that. Yes, the, there's something in that, but it's about those feelings which can be, uh, can come and go. Please yourself before trying to please others. Well, that's starting to sound a little bit like be a consumer. There's not a servant heart in that statement, particularly. And then ignore any opinions that don't enhance your life. Well, who decides what's life enhancing? But there's one really interesting one. Keep your faith larger than your fears. I think Abraham would agree. Keep your faith larger than your fears. Believe in the one who is faithful. Now, 
this self-love, this this is all based on this idea of being of actualizing ourselves, of self-fulfillment. And Abraham Maslow drafted a theory many years ago, which uh, is a very famous one about how people are motivated. And there are various levels. And the top one is this self-fulfillment, self-actualization. And the idea is that we need to satisfy our basic physiological needs first, and then safety, and then the ideas of love and belonging, and then esteem and, and having our self-esteem being built up. And it's only when these are met that actually you'll get to the top and people can be the, the best they can be. And in a business context, this, this means making sure that those ones at the bottom of the pyramid are met so that people will be most effective and most motivated at work. But what if we apply righteousness to this pyramid, being right with God? He provides everything that could meet our physiological needs, for he is the creator and the provider. He protects. He loves us and calls us children of God. Our love and belonging can come from him if we give ourselves to him. We become sons and daughters we are part of his family we are part we are brothers and sisters in christ we are part of the body of christ and he affirms us in terms of our self-esteem by saying with you i am well pleased before we do anything in return we see that in jesus's baptism and he's we know that the father smiles on us because he made us and so the route to self-actualization has actually got nothing to do with the self at all. He is goodness. Therefore, self-actualization is about being right with him, believing in him, listening to his opinions. And it may not be what we would naturally consider to be life-enhancing because it probably comes with sacrifice. And it, it will certainly involve having a servant heart and putting others before us. But that reaps rewards. It might mean asking God what is right, not just what we feel is right. It is about being right with God, being credited with righteousness. God's currency, treasures in heaven, and it's treasure that nothing can debase. It is eternal. It is never damaged. And it's never lost. And all that we have to do is, as Abraham did, believe God's promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Abraham's faith. We thank you for that he received this gift. And we thank you that you offer that to us too. For Paul directing us towards Abraham's example. And that follows on to the generations and is available to all. Help us to say yes to your promises today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.